Welcome back to the Growing Band Director Podcast. This is episode number 130. And for those of you who, out, who are out there who are going to Midwest, we have a uh, conductor of a featured ensemble here with us for 2023 Midwest. And uh, it's just one of those things that people are really looking forward to, I know. And as a career, we always think about having an ensemble that can perform at Midwest. And we are extremely honored today to have the band director from Westwood High School in Texas. His name is Thomas Turpin. And uh, he's gearing up with his kids here to play and here in a couple of weeks. Thomas, how you doing? Thanks for spending the time. Oh, my gosh. Hi, Kyle. And hi, everybody. It is an honor to be here. Um, gearing up is definitely the, the right phrase, I think. Yeah. Um, we are, it feels like in full five alarm fire mode now at this point. And um, we had a preview concert on November 15th uh, with our kids. We played eight out of our 10 pieces that are on the program. And coming out of a really busy marching season, I think it was mm-hmm. a little bit of a wake-up call for everybody. And the kids, it was fun to just watch them gel together as an ensemble for the first time in a performance on stage. So they're excited. We know what we got to work on. And um, we're just having a great time in the process. So you teach in Austin. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But you're wearing an Alabama shirt. What's the story? <laughs> so I actually was really purposeful when I wore this today um, because I think it's really important for people that attend Midwest, um, people that that come to this just incredible um, kind of a pillar of our community, pillar of, of just band and orchestra instruction, showcase, whatever you want to call it, to understand that not everybody from Texas is from Texas. So I actually grew up in Alabama. Um, I went to Athens High School, North Alabama, did my undergrad and master's at the University of Alabama, Roll Tide. And um, then moved to Texas uh, to start my teaching career. I started in San Antonio, Texas at John Paul Stevens High School and then taught there two years and ended up at Westwood. And this is my 15th year at Westwood High School. Um, And I I say the whole Alabama thing and I wore this shirt just to kind of show that, um, you know, not everybody that teaches in Texas is a product of the music education system in Texas. Um, I was completely totally i felt like a lost lamb when i got here and i just felt like the the learning curve was so high um you know having grown up in a different state's music education system um but it's it's i'm so glad that i did move here i'm grateful for the mentorship that i've had since i've moved here and the opportunities so um what what why did you move to texas and first of all before you answer that i the reason i said west woods so clearly as i was telling you is <laughs> I, I teach at west brook high school and i've said that 10 million times in my life so i had to make sure i called your school right no it's it's totally cool um so the reason for me moving to texas um actually goes back to a little bit of my drum corps roots um so i marched with the cavaliers drum and bugle corps in 2004 and 2005 and my brass caption head at the time was David Bertman, who's the director of bands at the University of Houston. And he's one of my biggest mentors and, and um, teachers that has been so influential for me throughout the course of my life. And um, I just remember asking him tons of questions about what music education was like in Texas. Um, obviously, a lot of the teachings of um, University of Houston and Eddie Green and that kind of school of thought. Sure. We did a lot of that at, at that time in the Cavaliers and with our brass uh, brass horn line. And I, I, I picked up a lot of that and I was really intrigued. And 
David was a great mentor for me, as well as many other teachers. Um, Mark McGahey from Keller High School was one of our teachers at the Cavaliers at the time. And so um, Donnie Hull, who's at Haltom High School up in the North Texas area. So a lot of people that were influential for me um, kind of helped shape that decision that I, I was interested in teaching in Texas. And then actually came to TMEA when I was in grad school and did some research and some job interviews and um, landed my first teaching job in San Antonio. It's so funny how, like you were talking about mentors, you know, I know this wasn't kind of like planned for us, but mentors are so huge. I mean, obviously you and I are both mentors to tons of students over the years. And we've also had all these mentors that we go. And I think not only do we need to recognize that just who we are every day is the biggest thing that helps these kids kind of look up to us. It's not that we're special, right? But we're in a position to lead them well. So just, you know, being consistent every day. And then also, you know, being thankful to those mentors that you have. And, you know, I, I think it's great that you, that you try to give the credit away right away. We started and I'm like, you know, I started talking about how great it was that you guys are performing at Midwest and all this. And you weren't like, oh yeah, I, this, I, that, I, this, I, that. It was all like, oh no, I'm in a great situation and here are my mentors and all that. So that says a lot. And mentorship is just such a huge thing. I, I'm just hoping that people have mentors and if they need a mentor, reach out, we can hook you up with somebody and that people are being good mentors. Absolutely. I, I, I would not be sitting here talking to you today if I did not have a just litany of amazing teachers that have influenced me, not just musically, but just the mentorship thing. We always tell our kids in our program, the most important thing that we want for you as a member of the Westwood Band is to be a great human being. And then we use music as the vehicle to teach those skills of how to be a great human being. Um, you know, and, and ultimately we want to create lifelong lovers of music and patrons of the arts. But if you walk out of our band program after four years and, and you have life skills that teach you how to be kind to other people that teach you how to show respect and gratitude, mm -hmm. that's the most important thing to me. I mean, all the performances are wonderful and I'm thrilled beyond belief to be able to, to share music on this stage and this international platform. But Ultimately, I want to make sure my kids say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, and thank you when we're in yep. Chicago and people go, oh, those kids from Westwood are really nice. Yeah, <laughs> That's the most important thing to me as a teacher. I love it. I love it. A couple of things I always point to, too, as a, as a side note, you know, it's not all about playing your, your instrument when you get older. Um, even just when you have a child and you need to sing them to sleep, having a good singing voice, or you need to dance at the wedding with your daughter, being able to dance in <laughs> time. You know, I mean, it's like these basic things people think we perform music to make musicians and we don't, but it's just part of a well-rounded human being. Anyway, I know I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. Amen. Um, let's talk a little <laughs> bit about your community. Obviously you're in Austin, which is a kind of a hotbed of a lot of different schools, but let's just talk about Westwood yes, a little sir. bit. Um, tell us a little bit about sure. the program and the, the feeder programs and all that. Yeah. Um, so Westwood is what we call a 6A high school. Um, Texas has six classifications, 1A through 6A. Um, a 2,500 and above students is what uh, puts us at that cap. We have... This year in enrollment at our, our campus, about 2850, um, uh, 9 through 12 campus. Um, Round Rock ISD is in the northwest, north central part of Austin, Texas. Um, serves well over 50,000 students. Um, it is a ginormous um, school district, uh, five comprehensive high schools. Um, we have an early college high school. Um, and inside of those five comprehensive high schools, there are, are full-time band programs. Uh, we support orchestra as well. Um, so in our uh, fine arts department or in our music department, we have 
a robust choir program, a phenomenal uh, orchestra program that has a great history. Um, we do collaboration with our orchestra department regularly. Um, we actually have three full symphony orchestras. So um, our concert programs, as far as band goes, we have four concert bands um, and the top three of those ensembles combine with our top three string programs and we do symphony orchestra in the spring. Love it. Um, we have a jazz orchestra. Um, as far as marching band, we do all the things that that would be expected um, and do statewide and national competitions. We just took our marching band to BOA St. Louis Super Regional this year and had a great time on that trip. Um, and as far as our community goes, uh, we are supported and we are very, very blessed to be supported by two um, direct feeder programs at Grisham Middle School and then Canyon Vista Middle School, whose honors band is also performing at Midwest this year. Um, and and the crazy thing and another reason I'm wearing this Alabama shirt, their conductor and band director, Jay Hagee, and I went to college together at the University of Alabama. And so to be in this just wild scenario in this nirvana where I get to teach with some of my best friends and not just colleagues, but some of my closest friends, I, I could never have imagined this. And I just, I'm so proud of Jay and the work that, that he's doing at Canyon Vista with those, all, all the kids there. Um, and the fact that they get to share their music with the world is, is really cool at the same time. So shouting out to them, their performance is on Friday morning. 8 30 in the morning uh canyon vista middle school honors band you don't want to miss it they're going to be really spectacular and what time what day and time is yours we are also on friday um and we are at 1 30 p.m in ballroom 375 ab we're going to go over your program and sort of lots of the things along the road and logisticals and things like that as well if you don't mind um, yeah absolutely okay so when you decided you wanted to apply Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so my first question is, when, in your estimation, should, if somebody's thinking about having their group apply, obviously, the first thing we all say is like, well, my group's not good enough, right? Like, everybody has that <laughs> sort of thought, at least I do. Um, and right. so, like, what would be your advice for people who are, like, maybe thinking about it? Well, it's, it's funny, we kind of started this whole conversation um, with the topic of mentorship, because I, I have to admit when you first start going through this process, I, the first thing I did is I, I reached out to people that had applied and people that had performed before and um, just started asking questions. I started asking the same kind of questions you're asking about timelines. When do I need to start thinking about this? When do I need to choose music? When do I need to uh, start the preparations on the, the, the pieces that we're going to go? What pieces should I pick? Um, so I think when it, when it all kind of came together for me and, and, and full disclaimer, um, we applied two years in a row. And the first year that we applied, um, the spring of 2022, we, um, were not chosen. And so, um, I've, I've known people that have applied before and they don't get in the first time. And then they're like, well, we're not good enough. So we're just going to give up. And, and it wasn't ever meant to be. I'm persistent. <laughs> And that, that's and important. I, I'm just going to say Abraham Lincoln was beaten 18, 16 out of 20 times when he ran for office. But every time he just kept, he'd lose four times and then win again. At least I think I'm accurate, but that's, that's a story I always heard. So yeah, you're right. Keep, keep working at it. Yeah. Yeah. Like seriously, do not, do not give in the, give up in the process. Um, and, and then, and the hard part of it is if, if it doesn't work out that first time, that's fine. Your kids get the 
experience of like going through the recording process and working on detailing the music and um, trying to increase their expressiveness as musicians. Um, all of those things that are really important for, from what I understand, the um, board of directors listen for very intently when they're choosing um, performing ensembles. Yep. So for us, I decided um, this past recording cycle, um, I made up my mind in probably September, October that we were going to um, go through the process again. And I started listening to music. Obviously, one of the components um, that I love uh, <laughs> And I have to say it with a smile on my face because I'm a French horn player. So we have to perform a traditional march. So upbeats and all. Uh, I I do love the fact that the Midwest Clinic values our heritage as a concert ensemble and a wind ensemble because we do hearken back to military bands and we hearken back to, you know, those roots of harmony music. But more importantly, like a military band is going to perform some type of a traditional two-step march. And so exposing our kids to that part of our history is really important. And um, so for our recording this year, we did George Washington Bicentennial March by Don Philip Sousa. And I wanted to pick something that was going to showcase some of the strengths of our ensemble um, and showcase something that was going to allow the kids not only to be um, in command of technical mastery, like the, the dogfight in that march is, is very heavy um, demands for articulation, and technique. Um, but then the trio allowed us to showcase some soloists and kind of pair back and really, really showcase um, the musical uh, strengths of our ensemble. And when you go through the process, the first thing from my understanding is that they they listen to on the first pass, they listen to the march um, and they kind of make determinations about the, the first pass of the ensembles from that initial handshake impression, if you will. Um, and then the other piece that we chose to record was uh, Manifestos by Paul Dooley. And I picked that because it it had some, again, some of the strengths of our ensembles. It showcased some of our really outstanding um, soloists. Um, I knew that we had a really strong student that I wanted to showcase their skill on clarinet. And the second movement, it's nice and lyrical and beautiful and um, some euphonium moments. Um, so play to your strengths would be some of my best advice, like know your ensemble. And, and, and I'm certainly not saying it's, it's a game that you, you play here, but you have to be, I think a little bit intelligent in how you program. And the advice that I got from so many of my close mentors, um, Mr. Richard Floyd is, is somebody that we have in our band hall all the time. And he is somebody that I just, Every time I'm around him, I just want to spend more time around him because he's so smart, he is so kind, and he's such a musical soul. And the thing that he kept telling me is just make sure your kids play musically. Make sure that the music shines through and it doesn't sound robotic. Like make sure that what you know your kids are capable of doing is what comes through on the recording. And the biggest thing that I learned from the first year going through the process to this year is the first year we only did one recording session. And when I asked the kid for feedback after the whole process and asked them, do you want to, do we want to do it again? And, and they did. I said, what can I do better for you? What can I do to make this a better process for you? And they said, give us more opportunities to record. Um, and so we had three different opportunities. One was just a very informal, um, we just practiced what it would look like and feel like we did it in our band hall. Um, 
One was just an opportunity with our parents there. The parents of the kids came in and got to watch their students up close and perform. And it was a really cool experience because parents usually are out in the audience and there's this like undefined, you know, barrier between the audience and, and the performers on stage. And to have the parents just sitting 10, 15 feet away from their kids and watching them up close, that was an incredibly special part. And then we had a recording opportunity in our uh, auditorium where we had um, our recording company that we had hired to come in and help us out with that. Um, they were there and we had video cameras. And so I think building up to that opportunity was great for the kids. So they didn't feel all the pressure of we get one shot and that's it, you know? That was something that was really, really beneficial the second time around. There's so much I want to pull out of that. Um, I'm not going to remember it all. But um, so one of the things that you're just continuing to like try to refine it, try to do it better next time, and that you seek your kids, you know, it's not about whose idea is best. It's about what idea is best. Um, yeah. The fact that you're talking about highlighting your best players, I mean, that just goes down to programming 101, right? If you have a weak trombone <laughs> section, don't do trombone king. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if, you have, if you have a great oboe player, pick something that features a great oboe player. I mean, everybody says, oh, this is a great piece. I want to do it. Well, you can want to do everything you want, but if it doesn't fit your kids. So like, I really try to, right. you know, I try to do the same thing. You try to tailor like every program to the kids that are there. And I just think that's wonderful because a lot of people are probably going, well, my band is not going to be playing Midwest anytime soon. Well, that's fine, but you can still tailor all your program and that that segues into another thing that's a huge thing of mine. I think we're kindred spirits here because the other thing I say all the time is like under program. Like people talk about just, I mean, maybe you can do a grade five. My band can't do a grade five right now. So like I can give them a grade five, but they're not gonna be able to play it well. It's about doing simpler music at a high, high level. I think for me, I try to, and this is a David Bertmanism. Um, he always said, set the kids up for success. I want to do what I need to do to set you up to be successful. And if that means you are choosing and, and tailoring daily drills and fundamental exercises to, you know, we did tons and tons of articulation studies and scale studies and Clark studies in E flat major, because George Washington Bicentennial, the trio is in E flat major. And by the time you get to the dogfight, all that technique is in E flat major. So by the time that we were firing on all, on all cylinders and, and performing that really well, it's not because the kids could just naturally play it. Right. We built those skills and we, we scaffold an instruction to get them yep. to that point. So like what you're saying right now is so important, like set your kids up to be successful and, and, you know, for me, I think I'm somewhere in the middle, to be honest. Like I, I, if I'm choosing like your, your contest program, right. You've got a March and you have two other pieces. Like in Texas, we have to play off what's called our prescribed music list and we can choose a March. And then we choose, you know, two other pieces from this list that's been put together um, by the UIL and committees. And um, I usually try to pick something, like you said, under program, something that I know that they're going to be able to play really, really well. It's going to be within their grasp pretty quickly. And then I like to choose a stretch piece that I know is going to be something that maybe my trumpet section I know is um, they're younger this year. Like we next year, right now I've got an incredible trumpet section in my wind ensemble. I graduate about three fourths of them next year. So next year I'm going to be looking for that stretch piece for a piece for my trumpets that 
they may not be able to be successful on in that first two to three weeks, maybe a month. But I know with work and building and scaffolding and all those kinds of things, they're going to be able to get there. That being said, there is the caveat of being realistic and then kind of having a pipe dream, right? I'm probably not going to put the Dawson Fonietta in front of my wind ensemble kids next year, right? That's too big of a stretch. So you kind of have to know. And and I, I think as a younger teacher, I was notorious and every now and then I still do it, but like I was notorious for over-programming. You know, you think, okay, I finally am here and I've got my third band at the school and I'm going to play, you know, grade four music with my third band. And then you realize, no, we need to be playing grade one and a half at the highest level and making the best sounds and, and teaching shaping and phrasing and expression and clarity of articulation. To hear you say that is great because like the amount of people who think, I don't know, I think people think that like three is a dividing line. Like you must play up (laughs) to through three in middle school and then you must start at three and a half and go up in high school. And I mean, even if you go on JW Pepper and you select the filter that says easy, like the amount of high yeah, school those teachers, are... the high school teachers won't even select easy. Like I'm all about right. the easy because there's some grade two in there that are just amazing pieces of music. And then before you know it, the kids have gone up two grade levels because you've set them up for that. Well, last time I looked, Elsa's procession was rated as a medium on oh JW Pepper. So, <laughs> so there's something to be said for that. You know, I I think you have to be judicious and responsible when you're programming. Um, because ultimately it comes back to what I said earlier. It's, it's about setting your kids up to be successful. And if they are struggling with technique, if they're struggling with tessitura, they're never going to be able to be expressive. Um, and, and ultimately, isn't that what we're, we're teaching kids to do is to make music. And if they're struggling with the technique, if they are not able to play the range that's asked of them, um, if there are skills that are outside of, of their wheelhouse that they haven't gotten comfortable with yet, then you're you're really starting from a place of disadvantage. Yep. Um, and there's there's nothing wrong. I mean, like there is nothing wrong with me taking our kids in our wind ensemble and and playing a grade two or a grade three piece of music and just letting them express themselves and really, really emote without fear of being controlled by their instruments, you know, like let them be completely and totally in control of the instrument so that they are speaking with their artistic voice through the instrument as a medium. It's, it's them having the power to, you know, control their, their artistry rather than the instrument controlling them. And, and that doesn't have to just be a top band or a varsity band kid or whatever. If you have one band at your school, Pick that level of music where the kids can sure grow through the program, but then also have that piece or or other piece. You know, if we're talking about your fall concert, pick a piece that's going to stretch a little bit, but then pick something that you know that they're just going to play the spots off the page. And every parent and you know person that's there is just going to go, wow, I didn't know my kid could do that. That's amazing. Yeah. And as you were talking about some of this great repertoire that not that people maybe shouldn't try playing, a couple of transcriptions came up in my mind or additions that I think people should consider. Um, you said Elsa, but then I, I originally went to um, Salvation is Created, that great piece. But a lot of people mm-hmm. like you might be able to play the notes and rhythms, but are going to hard to make music on that. There's a Michael Brown arrangement that is a grade one and a half or two that literally sounds like it almost sounds like the piece. I think people right. should con- consider that one. Also, um, Michael Sweeney, who's obviously a god. 
um, his themes from first suite, he uses stuff from the first and second and third movement. And it's like, I love it. It's just amazing, you know? And I know people say, well, if you don't play the original, it's not worth doing. And I think that's totally wrong. They do have these great arrangements of this other music that er almost any band can, can get to. And in fact, one of our, um, middle schools right now is uh doing and I, I i i forgive me i don't know who the arranger is on it but they're doing it's the second band at uh, grisham middle school and they actually did it this fall concert and they did the arrangement of Horkstow grange mm-hmm. and i don't remember who the arranger is on it but Sweeney. i just remember being there. yeah there it is okay and and so listening to our kids play that music and get the understanding and the history behind why is this piece important you know they're wrapping their seventh grade and eighth grade brains around that. They may not understand the full scope of it, but at some point, maybe they encounter that piece again and go, Oh, I, I remember playing Granger when I was in seventh grade. And that was a really beautiful melody. And now I understand the connection to this, or they play children's March when they get to, you know, high school or something like that. And to have those connections and to expose their kids to being able to play pulse. I mean, to play the masters at an accessible level is incredibly yep. important and admirable. So we didn't plan this at all, um, but just a quick segue. I forget the episode number, but in the last couple months, it's like in the 120s, I did an episode all on Douglas Wagner's music, and I oh, chose awesome. like 12 to 15 of his pieces that are up to grade, I think three and a half. I thought of it because Children's mm-hmm. March was one of them, um, his, mm-hmm. or his addition yep. to that. If anybody's like looking for more ideas of some of these, go back and check out that episode. I forget, again, I forget the number, but it's called The Music of Douglas Wagner or something. And uh, do you know him? Does uh, if if anybody knows him, you need to get me in touch with him because he's a genius. It, those I, I've played several of those arrangements, and it's just so cool to be able to let the kids don't wait for it. Like that's that's great music, and everybody be able to, is should be able to access that, you know, and have access to that. And so, yeah, no, that's that's fantastic that you've done that. I think that's phenomenal. All right. So um, let's get back to Midwest a little bit. So um, right. how, how has this changed sort of your teaching in the lead up to it? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, I've had to really and truly, it, it has made me a better planner, first and foremost, because, you know, you you get the email that you've you've been accepted and there's, it's kind of like, going yes. through these different states. Oh, yeah. You're oh. Like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then, it, and then all of a sudden the next day, like the reality hits what are we gonna play? and set in your like, what are we going to play? And then you start to get all the programming requirements. And I'm very fortunate because we've taken our symphony orchestra up to Chicago for Midwest a couple of times. So I'm not new to the process of going through the programming. However, with band literature there are so many more bands that are performing middle school and high school bands and you're competing for these pieces and you know that oh so and so has a new grade two that's coming out and i really want to try to get that so you it 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 turns a little like fight or flight reflex when when the reservation system opens up because you're you're trying to just click buttons as fast as you can and enter titles and hope nobody else gets it um so the planning aspect of all of this, not just with the music and the literature, but really and truly coming up with a feasible schedule for our kids during marching season. I mean, that's that's been the biggest um, puzzle to try to put all of this together to make it make it enjoyable, make it fun and not overburden our kids, but also still take the steps and build in the rehearsal time to be prepared so that we weren't 
starting this whole process coming into the marching right. season. So do you, um, um, so do you rehearse marching band stuff during your band class as well? That's a great question. Yeah. So typically, yes, we do a lot of, um, we have time during our, so we're, we're on an AB block schedule. So we see our kids, they take two band classes. So we see them every day. Um, and so we're working on the show. We're working on marching fundamentals. We're working on, you know, just fundamental exercises, both playing and physically teaching choreography. Those kinds of things are happening during the school day um, with the wind ensemble kids this year. We pretty much built the schedule, uh, during, I guess, let me back up to the summer. So I was really adamant. Um, and I actually got married over the summer and went on my honeymoon and yeah. thank you. Yeah. Um, and, and we decided that, you know, for all of our lives as a staff and for the kids, knowing they were going to have a really busy year coming up, we didn't want to take more of their time during the summer. Um, we start our summer band camp usually last week of July. Um, and so during our summer band camp, we took some time while the rest of the winds um, and percussion were like split out into sectionals and things like that in the afternoon blocks, um, we would do just brass or woodwind sectionals with the wind ensemble kids and starting that preparation late July through the first couple weeks of August. Um, once we got into the school year, uh, typically we were doing with the wind ensemble kids three days a week of marching during class periods and two days a week of just wind ensemble. Yep. And my strategy was to really work on the heaviest of the literature um, at the start. So um, the the two big like grade six pieces that we're playing, um, Donald Grantham's Jateo Ball, and then the finale from James Barnum's Third Symphony, that's where we started um, in the summer. And we we were just working on getting notes and rhythms under their fingers, making them feel comfortable with it, getting them. Um, especially Ligia Deo Ball, getting them really comfortable with the structure of the piece. Um, and then kind of peppering in, okay, now we're going to start to work on um, Matthew Nell's uh, piece, Strut, because it's a brand new piece and nobody's had the chance to perform it yet. So just trying to kind of like balance the rehearsal schedule mm -hmm. and get as much music as we could into their hands so that by the time marching season ended, and we had, and we all knew this going into it, we finished marching season. And then two weeks later, we did a preview concert. Yep. So um, that two weeks between finishing up like state marching band contests and BOA San Antonio and this trip that we took to St. Louis for a BOA super regional, like that was a wild two weeks in our band program. And then giving the kids downtime, giving them some time to rest, regroup, and then flip the switch. And we're in full-time wind ensemble mode. It was insane <laughs> as far as all the planning goes and i bet you the kids are are excited they are i think that november 15th concert for us if, if anybody out there is considering this if you're thinking about you know what what would my scheduling look like if i get in um and even for my for my friends that are middle school directors um giving your kids multiple opportunities before you do like what everybody typically calls their send-off concert, um, give them a couple of opportunities to perform. And please don't feel like you have to have your entire program ready by like October. Like that's just, that's not realistic. Mm -hmm. If you're in middle schoolers, you have kids that have been playing their instrument for just a little over a year um, by the time that they're going through this process. So, so again, it comes back to setting your kids up to be successful and scaffolding how you're going to build to these, you know, big performances where you're all of a sudden playing 40 or 50 minutes of music. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's, let's talk about sort of the, the travel plans. 
right? So you mm-hmm. guys are performing on Friday. Um, are you flying? Yep. Or, I assume you're flying or you're driving. We are flying. Okay. Um, we're leaving very early in the morning on Tuesday, the 19th, um, flying out of Austin. Um, we'll get up there. We've got the opportunity um, to get our equipment truck up there the same day. Um, we're sharing some equipment and sharing a truck uh, with Canyon Vista. So we're able to get all that stuff into the convention center. Um, we both have rehearsals on Wednesday uh, at the convention center. And then performances are on Friday. Um, and then just kind of building in all the stuff that, I mean, you do when you go to Chicago. I want this to be a trip of a lifetime for our kids. So the first night when we get up there, um, the kids had the choice to either go see Hamilton or to go see the Chicago Symphony Orchestra Brass. And so it's about about a quarter of the kids are going to the CSO Brass. I'm going to go see CSO Brass. I'm really excited about that. And then the rest of the kids, they're going to see Hamilton. And um, they're going to have a great experience either way. Uh, Wednesday, they're going to get a lot of time in the convention center. Um, we have a rehearsal. We're going to see the late concert of the Marine Band um, and get to see that changing wow. of the guard ceremony or changing of command ceremony. I'm so excited about that. That's just, I mean, the fact that we're going to be there at that same time as that's happening. And Can you tell me about um, that? I don't know anything about that. Yeah. So, so the United States. Uh, presidents on the Marine Band is performing um, twice on Wednesday. They have a 5.30 concert and a 7.30 concert. And in the 7.30 concert, um, the current conductor, uh, Colonel Jason Fettig, uh, will be, and I believe uh, the way I was ex- explained to this, and that we talked about it at our director's meeting in Chicago this summer, um, the commandant, I believe, I guess is the correct term. I could be saying it wrong. So I apologize if I am, um, (laughs) of the Marines, the Marine Corps will be there to actually do a change of command ceremony in the middle of that second concert, the 730 concert. And so Colonel Fettig will conduct the first part of that concert. And then I believe, um, uh, Ryan, uh, Nolan, N-O-W-L-I-N, hope yep. I'm saying that correctly, will uh, take over and do the second half of the concert from my understanding of that wow. at least. So to get to witness history, come on, that's amazing. I guess I didn't even realize that Jason Fettig was leaving. I mean, I know he did. He get the he got a job, right? He's going to be the uh, he's taking over Professor Haycock at University right. of Michigan. Right. OK. Yeah. So. I, have, I have a friend who went to school with him in Manchester, New Hampshire. Um, oh, wow. And I'm also really excited. I'm, this is not about this episode, but a plug. Um, first week of January, I get to interview Michael Colburn. The oh, wow. How fantastic. From the, from the president's home. So that's going to be awesome. Oh, my gosh. Um, that's amazing. All right. So anything else with your kids that you're doing? Uh, Thursday. I mean, we're just doing all they, they get to go either to like the Museum of Science and Industry, the Art Institute. We're going to eat pizza at Lou Malnati's. I am a mm-hmm. diehard Lou Malnati's fan. So I wanted them to get to experience that. Um, and then, yeah, we're doing concerts on Friday. Um, and I think they get uh, Thursday night. We're doing like a dinner cruise out from Navy Pier. So they'll get wow. to see. Hopefully we've got good weather. Fingers crossed for a mild Chicago. You know, I think when you're going as an attendee, you're like, Chicago, snow. I hope it's like a winter wonderland. And yeah, me as a director right now, kids or whatever. And flights to get back out on Saturday. I'm like, I need it to be 40 degrees and no precipitation at all. Yes, I need a very yes. mild Midwest this year. Um so so I, that's the case. I, I don't really want to get into financial stuff. I'm not asking you to give any numbers, but um sure. when when you're looking at the financial piece of it, like 
did the kids raise the money or was it provided partially by school or from boosters or, you know, like what was the, how did you structure that? Yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. Um, so as a band program, we typically travel every two years. Um, so we'll try to do kind of like a marching band trip and then something that's along the lines of like maybe going to Disney world and just going to, um, you know, see a blue man group or Cirque du Soleil kind of show and get them the chance to do the park. So this year was really unique because we had a marching band trip to St. Louis and this Midwest yep. thing stacked yep. on top. I mean, it was a very unique thing. We've never done anything this big of an undertaking as far as travel in our band program. And I am pretty much convinced we will never try to do anything like this again. <laughs> when you have these things layer on top of each other, um, our families were fantastic. They came together. We actually did a um, kind of a, a gala, um, if you will. We called it a, a Eats and Bites is actually what we ended up calling it. And we did some chamber music performances with our wind ensemble kids. Um, our families uh, donated food. And we are so fortunate at Westwood to have an incredibly diverse community. Um, so we had cuisine represented from our um, all throughout the world. We had um, Mexican cuisine. We had uh, Korean cuisine. We had Chinese cuisine. We had um, Indian cuisine. I mean, all these different cultures represented and so people basically bought like tickets and they would go and you know get a ticket for a sample of food and it was just a night of of social interaction chamber music and so we were able to do some fundraising through that to be able to kind of help offset the cost of the, of the trip but a lot of it was you know kids either doing some fundraising on their own or um families being generous and, and helping to to be able to get their kids to these performances so I've very, also, very grateful for that. I've also found on some of the stuff that I've taken kids to, you know, um, when I tell them ahead of time and they know, plant, families know they have to plan for a certain amount of money. Usually sure. it's almost like the amount of kids who can't pay for it. It's almost equaled for the amount of parents who want to double up and say, hey, we want right. to, we not, we honestly want to cover somebody else. And it's just like, and to work out. I think that that's so awesome. And that, I think it just speaks to the whole idea of band community. And it's, you know, our, our band program has our mission statement is pride, passion, and family. And our, our band family is amazing. We had exactly what you're talking about. I, I reached out and said, if you'd be willing to donate and help cover the cost of travel for, for other kids um, that may not be able to, to pay for this all on their own and, and certainly had some of that. So always grateful for those, those people that are willing to help these, you know, help families that, that might not be able to do it. Yeah. That's really cool. I love it. I love it. Um, all right, let's get into the rep that you're going to play. Um, yeah. Because as as people, if they don't know, you're allowed to play some of the hardest stuff that your band can play, but you do have to play all the way down. You have to play a lot of different grade levels here. So if people are not teaching at a high school, I assume some of the stuff you're playing is going to be at the level they can achieve. So you, yep. what are the requirements that you're given? So for high schools, you have a essentially an, an hour long concert um, and they ask you to program 45 minutes of music. Um, so that build in time for transitions and you know yeah. the, they do a, like a, a presentation by the board and things like that. So for every grade four, five or six piece of music that you program, you're supposed to balance it out with a grade one, two or three. And so it's not necessarily equal, like a grade four doesn't equal a grade one. Um, it's just you've got four, fives and sixes and you've got one, twos and threes. You have to balance it out. That being said, you do have to have at least um, one grade one, two and three. So 
uh, high school bands, middle school bands, everybody has to program at least a grade one, a grade two, and a grade three. Um, so that being said, it it really is a, a giant puzzle. And the, uh, the other thing with the program requirements is half of your music has to have been written in the last three years. So, and, and, and really and truly, the Midwest Clinic, when it, when it started 77 years ago, was a reading band. And it was an opportunity for publishers to get together. Um, like Jose, for instance, I believe, has been around for many, many years. And so, you know, it was a chance for um, a few bands to perform in kind of a rehearsal clinic type setting, and then for them to read new music that was being published and available. So it's always can kind of, you know, continued and, and grown from that mission of being an opportunity to promote new music. So when we were looking at all the requirements, we wanted to make sure that obviously the requirements were met for the the grade levels, for the pieces being performed, um, the recency of the three years. But then for me, it was also really important to have diverse representation um, from composers of different backgrounds, ages, time periods. Um, uh, we wanted to have different viewpoints, different cultures represented. And so um, that kind of all went into the whole um, process of doing programming. Great. So um, it's a lot. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I'd actually like to go through the program if you have it in front yeah, of you. And I do. maybe we'll just talk briefly about each title and composer and maybe why you chose it. And maybe a little bit about like, oh, this would be a great piece if you have a good yeah. trumpet section and you want to hide your saxophones or, you know, <laughs> whatever it is. It. So what are you opening the concert with? So we're going to open with a piece called Boom Goes the Dynamite, um, and it is by Paul Dooley. Um, super fun piece of music. It's a great about five-ish or so minute um, concert opener. Um, the reason that we chose this is because I wanted to kind of pay homage to the fact that we had recorded Paul Dooley's manifestos, and the kids really liked playing his music. Um, and I was doing some listening, and, and uh, Tom Caniba and Ball State, uh, University One Ensemble actually premiered this piece at CBDNA last spring and found a recording of it on, on Paul's website. And I was like, that's it. That's because you want to, you want to open with a bang and no pun intended. This piece yeah. really and truly kind of gets the job done that way. What's the um, grade? What's the grade level? It's a grade five. Yeah. Um, okay. Published through Hal Leonard. Um, it's great for teaching articulation and some double timing. Um, there's a, the, the whole piece, the boom goes the dynamite, boom goes the dynamite, that rhythm, one and a two EN, one and a two EN is throughout the entire piece. Cool. And he kind of took that motivic idea and, and just turned it into an entire work. Cool. Um, great opportunities for percussion. Yeah. Lots of cool stuff in there. All right. What are you doing after that? So next piece we're doing is uh, Carol Britton Chambers, Byzantine Dances. Um, it is a, oh my gosh, love it. Love it so much. It's, it's mean, like, Fiddler, has, it's like Fiddler on the Roof, but for easier band. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the saxophone, alto saxophone has a great solo in the middle of it. Yep. That kind of gets to be the, that fiddle tune. Um, and it's just very emotive. So it's, it's fast, slow, fast, essentially, um, uh, probably about three minutes, two and a half, three minutes or so. Yep. Um, great piece i mean and and there's clapping there's snapping so there's body percussion involved yeah. in it um and and everybody kind of gets a little bit of a turn with the melody great great piece for teaching um, great, especially great, mm -hmm, great two piece of music great yeah great absolutely so excited about that what's after that 
So the next piece on the program is a, uh, oh, that's uh, one other um, programming requirement. They, the Midwest Clinic requires that you play a march, a traditional march on your program. Everybody does. So that's why you see all the way up to the president's own, um, they have a march on their program. Uh, so we are doing a march by Stanley Friedman. Um, it, I believe, was originally published in like 1914. Um, it's called Down the Field. Uh, the cool thing about this is my high school band director, Dan Havely, uh, from Athens High School, is actually going to be the guest conductor on this. And the trio of the march um, was our high school fight song. It was mm -hmm. the melody of our high school fight song. And it's just a way – I've always loved the march. It's very – it sounds like a traditional march, but the format, it, it doesn't necessarily go first string, second string, trio. Like there's there's some little variances in it. Um, so if you're looking for a grade three march that is different, um, the trio, the French horn section, this was really important to me because I'm a horn player. The French horn section has a beautiful counter melody to the clarinet melody. So if you've got a strong horn section, this is going to be one to look at. Um and it's a really, really cool opportunity to feature and give the horns. Like if, if, if you are a horn player out there and you're a band director, and you're like, please no more upbeats. Take a look at this one because it's really cool. And the last thing with this piece is my high, uh, the arranger, Justin Ward, uh, is band director in Birmingham, Alabama, Pelham high school. He did this arrangement and he was one of my uh, best friends. We went to high school together. We both had Mr. Haley as our band director. We were college roommates at Alabama. So it kind of ties a lot of my own musical life together into the in a way to say thank you to some people yeah. that mean a lot to me. I love that. And that you're using his arrangement and that you're taking your old high school band director and he's conducting, right? I, I that actually, we played at all Eastern for NAFME about 10 years ago. Yeah. And I had a couple of guest conductors and one of them was my high school band director. You know, it's just a way of saying, Hey, thank you. You've meant a lot to me. Absolutely. Yeah. Wouldn't be here without them. Of course. What's number four. Number four is strut. Um, and this was the, uh, Buhlman Prize for Composition winner. Um, every year, the Midwest Clinic hosts a uh, open uh, composition contest. Um, and each year, I believe it varies. They do a call for a middle school um, grade level piece, and then they do a, a for a more professional or advanced band piece. So this year, um, we were asked to give the premiere of the winning composition. Um, Matthew Nell, he is actually... Uh, a student here in Austin at the University of Texas um, studying composition. And um, the piece is called Strut. And it's actually, it's it's really fun. Um, we we have, <laughs> the piece is actually about his schnauzer, um, his family's dog, and the dog's name is Snuggle. And so on the cover of it, actually, I got to grab this and show yep. it to you for everybody that's watching. So this is the cover of it. And some he had, I guess, a friend of his, actually do like a pencil drawing of the dog so um anyway it's been fun to work on it's very whimsical um it reminds me i mean he's got this compositional voice that I, when i met him for the first time i told him like dude you're a we may want to hit pause i'm getting sorry so the the idea behind the piece is there's all these sounds of like the the little dog kind of like uh scurrying across the living room floor going to the kitchen to go get a treat so you hear like the snare drum playing on the rim it's supposed to sound like you know the little paw um paws like kind of scurrying across the floor so when we were joking i told matthew i was like man you're an old musical soul like he quotes like hindemith inside of it there's some persichetti 
quotes. I mean, it's, it is a really neat, complex composition um, and still whimsical in nature. So we're really excited to get to play that for the audience and have everybody get to hear that for the first time. What's the grade level? Uh, it's a grade four. Four. And I assume he's been in to work with your kids. He's coming out next week. So he's he's had a chance to hear it performed on our preview concert. Um, he's been so gracious to come. With, he actually came to our spring concert last year when he knew that we were, we were going to have the opportunity to perform it. So um, I've had a chance to interact with him, but he'll get to meet the kids next week. So we're happy about that. And I think it's a huge thing, too, outside of performing at Midwest or anything, wherever you are, if there's any local composers who play, do your oh best to do some of their music, even if it's just about having them come in so the, so the kids can like go, oh, my gosh, this is a real person who actually is named. Absolutely. A hundred percent. It's so important for and 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 especially younger composers, um, composers of color, female composers, uh, composers that represent diverse backgrounds like, please, please, please. This is our future as far as as our profession. Um, we don't have to continually only play music of, of people that are no longer living. Like we have some great music that is being written as we speak. Yep. And it's important. It's our job to find that and to seek it out and to put it in front of our kids so they can have those experiences. Because you never know when, you know, playing a, a composer that a child identifies with and then they get to see them in person in their rehearsal, that can change the course of the kid's life. And so to give them that gift, it's it's an incredible responsibility to have. All right. What's next on your program? Okay. After that, we move to uh, Donald Grantham's Jeteo Ball. Um, honestly, arguably one of my favorite pieces that's ever been written for the wind ensemble. Um, I think it's, it's just such an amazing presentation of Cajun and Creole folk music. Um, Professor Grantham just does such an amazing job of presenting folk music in new and unique ways. Um, he takes a fiddle tune and puts it into the clarinets and then weaves the xylophones in and out of it. Um, and it's, it's just fun music. There's a brass band section in the middle. Um, if you've not heard the piece before, the middle part of it is, uh, very brass heavy. Um, it, it opens up with, uh, a tuba solo and then goes into a tuba euphonium duet. Um, and it's, it's just fun. It's joyous music. The ending is epic and big and boisterous and exuberant um, and just just a really cool piece. And it was actually the first piece that I ever got to play with my colleague one ensemble. And so it's always held a really special place in my heart. And, yeah. um, you know, don't hear it performed as, as much as I think it should be. So it was a great opportunity to get this, you know, what I think is now a staple in the wind band repertoire out there in, in a big environment. And that's a grade six. Yes, sir. Yep. Yep. What's next? So next up, we've got uh, another world premiere, um, a grade three by Jack Wilde. It's called Liber Illuminare. Um, really, really excited about this piece. It's lyrical. Um, so Jack actually student taught at Westwood my first year here. And so we have been friends for a long time. He is just a wonderful human being, a great musician, was a middle school band director, was a high school band director. Um, he and, and, and is now a composer full time. Um, but he writes through a lens of, of not just artistry and creativity, but he also writes music that he knows is going to help kids progress educationally as well. 
So when I had the opportunity to, to commission him to write something, I wanted him to write something lyrical. And in our process of like kind of coming up with what he wanted to write, he was like, well, you know, a lot of times people, when they commission music, they have very specific requirements. And I said, I want you to write a grade three and I want it to be lyrical and past that. I want you to write whatever you want to. And he said, that's amazing because I've been wanting to write a lyrical slower piece of music. So this just kind of all came together and it's actually inspired by um, medieval codices. So like a, a book that you would see that's, you know, inscripted with text, but then there's all this gold foil around it. So it looks like it's, it's literally lighting up from the page. Um, so the, the title literally translates to book illuminated, uh, if you will, or illuminated text. Um, and so he uses all of these, he actually uses an Irish folk melody because he was inspired by a codice, a codex that he saw when he was in Ireland. And, um, then he uses an Irish folk melody that he kind of has always wanted to, to do a setting of. And, um, it's, it's lush and beautiful at times. It's big and powerful at times. And then there are these moments where he uses some of the highest tessituras. The whole piece starts with like chimes and bells. So there's a pretty exposed percussion um, moment throughout the beginning. Um, and then a flute solo. He uses the piccolo a lot to kind of highlight those higher colors. So it's still accessible for middle school, um, for younger grade level, I think. But it presents some colors that may not always be showcased in that grade level of music, which is really cool. That's great. That's great. And I hope after you play it, a lot of other people play it too. I hope so too. I really do too. It's, it's just beautiful music. So I'm, I'm excited for Jack and for him to have this piece out in the world. And so after that piece, we've got a piece by one of my favorite human beings um, and a great friend, Omar Thomas. Um, a few years ago, when the Vandergrift High School Wind Ensemble went to Midwest, they commissioned him to write a piece called Carabana. Um, and Carabana is essentially a celebration of um, one of the largest um, carnival type uh, parties that happens in Caribbean countries. Um, Carabana, it's like the, the name of a Caribbean carnival celebration, essentially. And one of those big parties that happens outside of the Caribbean is actually in Toronto in um, Canada. And so his idea of creating a piece of music that we're performing, it's called Carabana After Party, um, is to take some of those ideas of calypso music and those types of rhythms that are indicative of that style of music and put it into a space that's more accessible for younger students to be able to perform it. Carabana is, an, is a really amazing piece of music. It's, it's incredibly challenging. And so being able to take that music and make it accessible for younger players, um, in this case, in a grade three um, type of a, an arrangement of those, those ideas, is something that's really special. Um, ultimately, the piece is just about a three and a half minute party. Um, you have all of these great dance grooves and, and rhythms that happen throughout it. The middle section is called the rhythm section. Um, it's spelled R-I-D-D-I-M. And it's essentially kind of like a percussion breakdown. And the kids get to do some body percussion. They get to play with pencils on their stands um, and just be in that groove and express that joy which is present in those celebrations. So 
um, Caravan After Party. You have to check it out. Uh, look on Omar's website, omarthomasmusic.com. It's it's there. You can check it out. It's a cool piece. And our kids, honestly, I think may argue that that's probably their favorite piece on the program that they're going to perform. Um, three more pieces. So the piece after that is called Above the Ground. Um, it is a grade one. Um, it is by Jose Ignacio Blesa Lull. Um, he is a Spanish composer. Um, and really, really, really cool melodies, um, kind of storing movie score-esque, um, but yet very accessible. It makes the ensemble sound incredibly mature, manageable tessitures and ranges across the board, a lot of great writing for percussion. Um, and so, and it, uh, it, one of the, um, cool things that I like about it as a grade one, it introduces the tritone. And so the kids actually you know, and they're in accessible ranges. Um, and so if you're working on, you know, your daily drills or your fundamentals and you're doing Remington exercises, it's a great way to reinforce those things that you're working on with your kiddos right there. So um, really have had fun working on that and I'm glad that we get to play that on that portion of the concert. Cool. Um, two more pieces. We've got uh, featuring a soloist. Um, we're doing John Mackey's Trumpet Concerto, Antique Violences. Um, we're doing the last movement of it called the curtain calls. Um, it brings back all the themes of the first three movements of the concerto. And we're incredibly excited to have, uh, one of our friends from right down the street, Jerry Junkin, um, who's the conductor of the university of Texas wind ensemble and the Dallas winds. Um, he's going to guest conduct for us on that. And then, um, we're thrilled to have our new trumpet professor at the university of Texas, Caleb Hudson is going to be soloing with us um, on that piece. Wow. Um, That's awesome. Just, just an incredible musician um, and a great person. And we're, we're thrilled to be able to share the stage with, with those two musicians. Um, Special. So then, yeah, yeah. And I think it hasn't quite sunk in yet because we're still coordinating all of our schedules. And so, we're still working on that piece. Um, in fact, one of our trumpet teachers, Sam Acosta, who is doing his doctorate at UT right now with Professor Hudson, is going to be our guest soloist for our, our send-off concert. Um, and then Caleb's going to play with us in Chicago. Um, but it's it's cool that Professor Junkin's going to get to conduct, you know, somebody that plays in his wind ensemble and then also his teacher at the same yeah. time. So there's some, and then Sam actually teaches some of our trumpets in our ensemble. Um, so it's kind of, you know, getting to see our students work with their teacher, work with their teacher. Yeah. Um, you know, there's some, some scaffolding there. That's, that's really cool, um, cool in the process. And then last piece on the program, um, we're doing the finale from um, James Barnes third symphony. Um, it's one of my favorite pieces of music. Again, I got to play it when I was in college um, it opens with this really triumphant horn call. Um, and it's something that I was really, really wanting to do when I was choosing the program is I wanted to pick a piece of music to close out the program that was a great melody. Like I think about my favorite concerts that I've ever been to at Midwest and you walk out of there singing, you walk out of the concert smiling, you walk out going, man, I'm inspired. And, and I wanted to pick something that hopefully would make people smile, that would excite them, that would make them walk out of that hall 
just wanting to sing a melody. And, and so I think that the melody from that symphony and, and particularly from this last movement is upbeat, exciting, um, boisterous, and, and just something that people will enjoy. So that was the idea behind that. All right. We're going to finish talking about mentorship. And, um, you know, my, one of my mentors, Jeff Smith, I don't know if you know Thomas or people know, but he, he just passed away this past week. Uh, sorry, this past oh, month. So sorry. It was pretty tragic. And, um, it's been, it's been really tough, but, um, I've had a lot of great mentors along the way, but Jeff is a mentor of mine. We started this podcast a couple of years ago just to try to have this living conversational document for people to go to, to be able to connect with people. Right. The great thing about podcasts is and not just this podcast, but any podcast is like you can go back three years and find an episode based on sleep or vitamin E or like whatever mm -hmm. the heck you want it to be on. And, <laughs> right. um, you know, you can search keywords or you can follow certain podcasts. And I just think the podcast medium is great because it's a living thing. Like this episode, I'm very lucky. This is episode number 130 that you've been gracious enough to be on. And so that's like 130 hours, give or take of like professional sure. development that people could have at any time they want. And I'm not plugging this about myself, but like I've had so many great guests and so many great repertoire and, and all these things that people can really connect with somebody through a podcast. And, you know, if anybody wants to reach out to me, growingband.com or uh, on Facebook, um, if anybody wants to join the, the community and all this, it, it's, it's all about that community. And if I can help anybody in any way, whether it be through programming or, um, you know, helping you through an event or whatever like that. And I'm sure if you people out to reach out to you as well, you'd be happy to help them. So yeah, being a mentor um, through the podcast has been really awesome. And um, I know you have some mentors and things that you want to, that you want to thank too. Oh my gosh. Um, absolutely. And I, I just to echo what you're saying, like, I think for there to be so many great resources out there, sometimes it, it's easy, you know, even, even in a state of Texas or like a, a school district where I am right now, it's easy to get in your own head and isolate and think I'm the only one that can do this. I am bearing this burden myself. And, you know, even if you don't have a colleague that you teach with every day, just knowing that you are able to find resources to connect with people, I, I would just say, don't be afraid to ask for help. I mean, my dad was in sales for his entire life and the thing that I remember the most from him and a lesson growing up, he's like, what's the worst that somebody can say? No. And then you go on and you ask again. And so I think not being afraid to ask and utilize those resources. And I will tell you, honestly, some of the best advice that I've ever gotten um, from another band director is do not be afraid or so self-conscious to invite somebody into your rehearsal. Because one of the best things for your kids to see is that you are not the keeper of knowledge of all things band. Band does not start and end with you. It will not end with you when you finish teaching. It will go on. And for you, I'll say for me, it is always incredibly humbling. And I remember the first few times that that somebody came into my rehearsals to, to critique or, or provide feedback. I was terrified. We still get nervous when we have people come in to work with our kids. And, and I just, I think about the importance of our students watching us grow and develop and learn in real time in front of them. And yes, it is coming from a place of vulnerability and it is terrifying to get critiqued on your conducting in front of your kids. But what a powerful message to send to our students that if it's good enough for us, 
then it's good enough for them to be able to receive that feedback from us. And knowing that it comes from a place of love um, and that it comes from a place of care. Um, whenever Mr. Floyd is in our band rehearsals, before he offers feedback, he always says, and I say this with love in my heart. And then he gives, you know, criticism or, or, you know, constructive criticism to the kids. And I just think that that is such an important thing for kids to understand that constructive feedback is not negative. Like it, it, it's an opportunity to grow. And for us to be willing to receive that in front of them and, and, and live in that space of vulnerability, huge. And it can be life-changing for kids. Um, so yeah, when we're talking about mentorship, get out there, ask. And if somebody says, no, it doesn't work in my schedule, propose another time. Um, if you don't have money to, to pay to bring a clinician out, offer to take them out for dinner or a beverage after you finish up with rehearsal. If that doesn't work, you don't want to pay out of pocket, offer your services in return. Hey, I want you to come and listen to my band. And in return, I'll come in and give the same amount of time in your band room. Mm -hmm. It's you're going to learn just as much from being a clinician as you learn from having a clinician in sometimes. And I think so, people you're talking about not being intimidated or like just asking people, you know, ask, like I talked about, I'm going to have Michael Colburn on in January. Like you just ask people to do stuff, you know, and yeah. because if people are really what you consider good or high level, and especially if they've had longer careers, odds are they're pretty nice people because if they yeah. were hard to work with, they probably ha had a hard time, you know, having a long, good career. I, I have to share this very quick anecdote. Um, when uh, I first had the opportunity to, to meet Donald Grantham, he's a professor of composition at the University of Texas. And um, we were working on some of his music and he came out a couple years ago, our wind ensemble was playing Starry Crown, um, another great, great piece of his. And I remember he was in the band hall and I was so nervous. It was my first year as the head director here and first time playing a huge piece like this. And I just, I was so self-conscious and he stood back and he talked so kindly to the kids and he was so complimentary and giving them great things and telling them the history behind the piece. And then after the rehearsal, he looked at me and he said, I just want to thank you for playing my music. Mm -hmm. And you talk about being just floored that somebody I revere as like one of the greatest wind band composers of our time, just to thank me for playing his music. It, it was, that was a, kind of transcendental moment, you know, to realize that we're all just human and we're all scared of things and we all want to feel acceptance and we want to feel valued and, and have gratitude. I, it was, it was a perfect moment to realize that, like you said, you, you ask these people that we regard as the, the stalwarts of our industry, they want to help because people help them get to where they are. Yep. Speaking of gratitude, I'm very gracious. I'm very, you know, have tons of gratitude. I can't get it out right now because I'm getting ready for a nap or whatever, but I'm, I have a tons of gratitude for you for making the time for all of this. So thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. And, and for all of the work that you put into the growing band director, this is, it's a great resource and I'm, I'm grateful. And I know many of us out there are grateful for this as a resource to our community. So thanks. Best of luck on your trip, safe travels, make some great music and have fun with those kids. Thank you, sir. Take care. We sincerely appreciate you taking your valuable time and listening to the Growing Band Director podcast. Your students are very lucky to have a band director like you. If you have any suggestions for episode topics or think you have an area of expertise to share on a show with us, please reach out. 
If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your band director friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, our YouTube channel, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to The Growing Band Director. See you next week.